Would you bow with me? Father, it's really not enough for us to say you're worthy of everything. Because God, we, we really don't realize how unworthy we are. Before this world was created, before you ever decided to form us from the dust of the ground, it would seem that you had everything that anyone could ever want. But you chose to make us. You chose to have a relationship with us. You chose to give us freedom. Freedom to choose right from wrong. To serve or to not serve. <clears throat> and Father, we thank you that you gave us that choice to be free. Lord, we thank you that you weren't content to allow us to blow things up and to imprison ourselves again to the sins and of our choices, but you sent your son to be our savior, to give us an opportunity to have a hope for heaven, a seat at your table, and a place in your family. Father, I just pray today as we open your word that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us, Lord. Help us to realize that we are worthy, but only because you have made us so. And help us, Lord, to live our lives with that, with that in mind. We just ask you to be with us today, and we pray all those, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, in Philippians, the first chapter, these words, beginning in verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me really has served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole of the imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been become confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The Apostle Paul finds himself right here at a place that is difficult for a person like Paul. Paul was a person of, of great independence, of great personal drive. He's a highly motivated individual, but he finds himself here imprisoned without the freedoms that he was accustomed to, without the op option to go and do as he would please. And yet he writes to the Christians in Philippi who are understandably worried about him, and he says, listen, guys, I want you to know that actually this situation isn't as negative as it would appear. I think a lot of us probably, if we were in a place where the Apostle Paul was, would find a lot of reasons to complain and a lot of things that we'd look at and we'd say, this isn't right, this is, <laughs> this is unjust, this is ridiculous, this is uh, confining of my freedoms, I need to be doing things that are different, God. But the Apostle Paul chose a very different perspective. He chose to recognize that in many, many ways the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Many have tried and all have failed. They've tried high-handed or hard-handed techniques. They've tried to ignore it. They've tried to make it irrelevant. And time and time again, this message of the gospel, this simple story of God's working in our lives bubbles to the surface and it finds its way and finds champions in unlikely and un un unpredicted places. And certainly, the story that we're about to, or the text we're about to look at today is, is evidence of that. So you might ask, well, Jason, how in the world did the Apostle Paul find himself in prison in the first place? And that's a very important question. 
Often we think of prison, we, we think of somebody doing something illegal. If you ever go visit somebody on the inside, it's one of the things you talk about because there's not a whole lot else to talk about. And that's one of the first questions that a new prisoner gets when they go into a new facility. What did you do? Why are you here? It's a reasonable and normal question. The Apostle Paul, for reasons that he only knows in Acts 24, 25, and 26, felt compelled to return to Jerusalem to fulfill a vow. And we're told that, that the leading up to that, it, it, was a, it was a very emotional decision. The Apostle Paul and others recognized that this was a very dangerous thing to do. The last time that Paul had left uh, Jerusalem, he had not left under good circumstances. And you might remember that around 30 years or so before this, um, Jesus had, well, actually less than 30 years before this, Jesus had preached and taught there. The same leadership, in a sense, that were in control then had had Jesus successfully executed. But Paul feels like he needs to return to Jerusalem. And in a very short period of time, having returned there, he finds himself in the middle of a riot. He seeks shelter in a a tower um, that was controlled by the Romans and ultimately was arrested, really, for his own safety. After there was a plot to, to take his life, he was spirited away through the night to Caesarea, where he was imprisoned and stood before Felix. Felix was a a local governor in that particular area, similar to Pontius Pilate. Felix began to kind of interview him and and try to figure out why this man had caused such an outrage in the city of Jerusalem, a riot really. And and, and Paul explained his, his relationship with Jesus Christ. And Felix was seeking to make a political decision. He wanted to send Paul back to Jerusalem in hopes that somehow he could pacify a group of people that were really almost impossible to pacify. Now, whether Paul knew it or not, the book of Acts tells us that the leadership in Jerusalem had devised a plan that they were going to lay ambush to the, to the, uh, the Roman guards carrying Paul back to Jerusalem. They were going to take justice into their own hands. They were going to make certain that Paul's life was taken. And maybe that was what forced Paul, or, or maybe it was that Paul had an idea, a plan, a dream of being able to share the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus had done with the highest echelons of Roman society. I don't know which, but Paul made an appeal to Felix, and his appeal was simply this. He said, I appeal to Caesar. You might wonder, well, what does that mean, and, and, and why was Paul able to do that? Paul had, had a certain citizenship. As Americans, we enjoy American citizenship. Most of us in here today are American citizens, and and that citizenship comes with certain privileges. If you leave this country and you go at other places, you will will, uh, have an opportunity to experience firsthand American citizenship. Several years ago, we were in a a van, and we were headed back late at night from preaching in a remote area uh, in a third world country when we were pulled over at a military checkpoint. And it's it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing, and you can, probably you guys are like me, you can feel tension in other people. And I could feel tension coming from the front seat where the two natives were talking to soldiers that had now kind of encompassed the van that we were in. And, and, and their voices were, 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 were kind of gaining, gaining in, 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 uh, in loudness, and I really couldn't make out what they were trying to say. But I could tell that there was a disagreement about what was going on right here. And finally, the soldiers made the two drivers or two in the front seat step out of the vehicle and they stuck their heads in the vehicle and they shined their light in the back and their lights panned across this white face. 
And I, I don't know exactly what they said, but they stepped out of the vehicle, and I heard them say, Americano. <laughs> and they chattered some more, and it was just like a switch was flipped. Everything was good. The guys got back in the vehicle. They drove down the road. One of them later said, I'm sure glad you were with us. It's because they, they didn't want problem with the American government. My citizenship had a privilege. We as Americans, we don't realize how privileged we are, how blessed we are to live in the place we do. And even though right now we feel rather confined because many of our freedoms have been temporarily taken from us, we are living today far more free than many people do on a daily basis. And that citizenship, that freedom, didn't come cheaply, did it? This weekend, we, we celebrate the Memorial Day weekend, and it's a holiday that's set apart uh, to remember the fallen of the Civil War, but, but really the fallen of every war, World War I, World War II, Korean War, the Vietnam conflict, and then all the desert wars and, uh, and the Afghan wars that have happened in between that time. Men have gone, and women have left their families and homes and countries. They've gone into the foreign field, and many have left their lives there for what we call freedom. The Apostle Paul, because he was not born in a Jewish country and because his father was a, was, a, was a Roman, had a very privileged opportunity. He was a Roman citizen. And in Roman citizenship, if a foreign national brought a charge against a Roman citizen, the, the Roman citizen had the right to appeal his case to the Caesar. To a, the highest level of, of, of Roman justice was to hear out this case and so Paul took advantage of that opportunity and made that appeal. And so now we find Paul somewhere imprisoned under house arrest. If you knew a little bit about how Roman citizens were treated, they had a lot of rights before they were convicted. Some of our innocent until proven guilty uh, kind of mindset in our country today comes from uh, this period of time. So he was imprisoned, but it wasn't like in a pit prison, like he would be later in, imprisoned in. This was, this was a house prison. And he was guarded by the imperial guard. Now, we don't know if it was in Rome. Paul doesn't tell us. But most Bible scholars believe that it was, which means that these guards were the same guards that were charged of taking care of Nero and of Nero's concerns. And Paul said, I've been able to do amazing things here. I've been able to teach and preach and to share with those people. If you want to know the story, scholars... We really don't know, guys, but scholars believe that around AD 62, Paul did stand or was released, not because he stood before Nero, but because the Jewish people that had brought out the charges against him failed to prosecute those charges in Rome, and that might have been what Paul was banking on. A couple years later, he was probably rearrested and at this time gave his life up um, under, under Nero. But I want us to notice today just three things about Paul in this opening sort of text that really helps us to set up the balance of the book of Philippians. Because here's the thing, guys. Throughout the summer, we're going to take a look at the book of Philippians. I think it's just such an amazing text for the place where we are right now. It's written to a church that is going through some very challenging times. And Paul recognizes that what he's dealing with right now, this imprisonment, this persecution, is going to become more widespread. And the church throughout the Roman Empire is going to have to deal with this. And I think it's really insightful to look at the kinds of things that Paul challenges the church with here before the crisis hits them full force. And so we're just going to start off and, and kind of open up with what Paul opens up with in verse 12 when he said, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. How is it that Paul was able, was able to, to take a negative circumstance and see positive things out of it? Well, a lot of it has to do with the frame of mind that Paul approached the whole situation with. Let me, let me ask you guys this morning, what is, what is your frame of mind right now as you sit here at uh, 11.35 on a Sunday morning at Forest Park? How do we look at the world? There's a lot of ways, I suppose, we could look at the world, but I think really a lot of our frame of mind's, mind tends to fall into two kind of broad categories. Naturally, we have kind of a self-reflecting frame of mind. So when we wake up every morning, we begin to look at the world around us, but we, we see, kind of like in a mirror, not what's going on as much, but how what's going on affects us. And, and you, you know that we, you have a kind of a self-reflecting frame of mind in some of the things that we say, like, or questions that we ask, like, how will this affect me? How will this affect my family? How much will this cost me? I don't know if I how I feel about this. Those kind of phrases kind of help us to understand that the thought process that's going on in the back of our mind. As we look at the world, we're asking ourselves, how does this reflect on me? How does this change my perspective? How does this affect me? The Apostle Paul had a different frame of reference. Paul's mind frame looked a little bit more like the kingdom. Paul took that self-reflecting mirror surface out of his, the frame of his mind and he threw it to the side and he began to look at the world through a kingdom mindset. And the crazy thing is, guys, when we're not so absorbed with ourselves, when we don't always have to see life in how it reflects on us, then we're free to begin to see the world through other people's eyes. So Paul, Paul begins to ask a different set of questions, questions like, how does this affect you? How does this affect your family? How much is this costing you? How do you feel about this situation? It's a very, very different set of, of circumstances, isn't it? A very, a very, very different set of, of responses that begins to come back. One of them is a self-reflecting mindset, and one of them is a kingdom mindset. Now, I don't want you to think that Paul invented this on his own. He certainly didn't. Paul learned this from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus came, he lived in every way as we did. And yet, as he looked at the world, he was not concerned about how he was affected, but how it affected other people. He's walking from a place to another place, no doubt on a schedule, but someone has a need along the side of the road. He's not looking and asking himself, how is this going to affect my schedule? He looks and sees, this person needs my help. How can I change their story today? So what is your mind frame? What is your default position? Are you like many of us and everything that comes up in life, you reflect back at yourself and say, how does this affect me? Or are we becoming like Christ who in essence was really living like Jesus and allowing that glass to be taken out and set aside so that he could see the world and see the true needs to have a kingdom mindset? Paul's, Paul's kingdom mindset is reflected here, obviously. He said, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. If Paul had still had that mirror up, he would say, what happens to me right here is an absolute crime 
All I was doing was trying to lead people to a closer relationship with Jesus, and now I'm landed up in this miserable jail with this guy who watches me all day and night, and I can't do anything at all. No, that would have been a self-focused mindset. But Paul said, no, what's actually happened here is doing good because other people are seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those other people were the people that, that were having direct access to some of the highest levels of leadership in the Roman government at that time. 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse number 19, starting, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he, he says this. The thing that always is remarkable to me about Paul is that Paul was willing to do whatever it take, took on his part to share the gospel to the scale that he felt that it deserved. No matter what that was, Paul was going to make sure that on his part, he was given his all. And he says this in verse number 19 of chapter 9. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Now, obviously, as Paul is writing to Corinth, he is not in prison. And he's saying, hey, I'm a free guy. I can do whatever I want. But I have made myself a servant or a slave in some versions to everyone that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. Skip down to verse 21. To those outside the law, I become like one outside the law. And then he clarifies this. He said, not, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Just Jason paraphrased version. Paul's just saying to the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile. Not that I become sinful and how I live, but I can identify with who they are. I can identify with where they live. I can identify with their values. To the weak, I have become weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. It wasn't just enough for Paul to have his world together, to look at it and say, you know what? I look pretty good, don't I? <laughs> Paul said, I want us to look good together. I want us to experience all the glory that God has, has for us together. And in order for him to do that, Paul said, I have become all things to all people. I may be free to just focus on myself, but my frame of mind is to include everyone. Paul does that in just beautiful way in just his lifestyle. Even though he's in prison, even though it's a negative circumstance, he is allowing his relationship with God to shine. It's known throughout the whole of the Imperial Guard or the Praetorian Guard, whichever your version uses, and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. As we said before, and I'm certain this probably happened time and time again as, as new guards came in and, and, and worked with Paul, and they began to meet this guy, and I'm just guessing, but I think Paul probably had one of those big, larger-than-life kind of personalities, and probably eventually they're sitting around watching him doing his thing, writing or studying or visiting with people. We know in Acts, um, he had a lot of people that came and visited him in this period of house arrest. <laughs> they probably at some point said, why exactly are you in jail anyway? What did you do anyway? 
And if I know Paul, I know he took a full advantage of that opportunity to say, hey, let me tell you what happened. I was on the road to Damascus, and there was a bright light, and I was a persecutor of this thing called Christianity, but then the very one that I persecuted spoke to me, and i become an evangelist, and I've shared this message all over the world, but there's some people that don't like it. They chase me down everywhere I go and try to stir up trouble. I'm sure he gave them the whole story. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul didn't say, that I've converted and won all these guys to Christ. That's not what he says. He says, they know that my imprisonment is for Christ. They know that I am living for him. You know what? Decision for Christ is an individual and personal decision, isn't it? I can't force you to make that decision. And even if I force you to make that decision, it really does you no good, all right? It does me no good because I've just just convinced you to do something that you're not really sold out for. Paul wasn't trying to convince these guys to leave behind their pagan gods. He was just telling them who he was. And I can't help but believe that it had a pronounced effect on those guys' lives. I think there's two things that made the Apostle Paul so very effective at personal lifestyle evangelism. The first one is, that Paul was an accomplished and discipled, or disciplined, I always say that, accomplished and disciplined ambassador for the cause of Christ. And I use those two words very, very purposefully. But, and we're going to go to those in a moment. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. This is how Paul described himself when, when asked kind of what he was. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Can I, can I point out to you that there's a little bit of a difference in how Paul viewed his role and how many of us today view our role as ambassadors or disciples of Christ? A lot of us today, in fact, we hear people use these words, I won so-and-so to Christ. I brought so-and-so to Christ, Okay. And, and, and we understand exactly what those people mean. They mean that they've, they've invested in somebody's life. They told them the good news of the gospel. That person has made a decision and they had an opportunity to be a part of that. But the Apostle Paul looked at his life a little differently. He said, we are, therefore, ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives of Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. So rather than Paul being the one that's making the appeal, rather than Paul being the one winning people, Paul was simply allowing himself to be a vessel that God could use to pull people in. And so then he makes that clear for us. He says, we implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. My message to you is to get things right with the Lord. Straighten out your relationship with God before it's too late. Paul took this job as ambassador very seriously. In fact, every big country in the world has ambassadors, right? If you go to uh, New York and, and various places, you, you can see these big embassies, and inside of those embassies are the official representatives from various states around the world. In fact, one of the first things that happens 
when two countries kind of get in a tiff with one another is they pull their ambassadors, right? And it's just kind of a, a show that we're no longer friends. But when you're really trying to create a cooperating effort with somebody, you send one of your guys to their country, they send one of their guys to your country, and they act as the official representative of that country. And there's certain things that are just innate in an ambassador. They have the same values as the country from which they come. They have the same allegiances as the people that they represent from the country that they come from. They have the character and the moral, mor and the moral foundations that they're trusted to go into a potentially hostile zone and represent truly the country that they represent. And Paul said that's exactly who we're called to be. And Paul was extremely good at being an ambassador. And there's two things that made him good. First of all, he was very accomplished. Paul worked to be the very best ambassador that he could be. He wasn't just kind of good. It wasn't just second best. It wasn't half-baked. He gave it his very, very best. It's Colossians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at a couple passages from Colossians out of order, but Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, not far from Ephesus. He said, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So here's just a concept for you guys to kind of put into your daily lifestyle choices. Paul said that no matter what I do, where I go, or how I'm working, I don't pretend that I'm working for my employer. I recognize that I'm working for Christ. It's from Christ that I'm looking for my inheritance. And so in every way, whether it's at work or it's doing things for the kingdom at church, I am serving the Lord Jesus. And when we serve God, there's nothing that God is worthy of except our very best, top of the line. And so Paul said, I do everything for his glory and for his purpose. So Paul was accomplished, but Paul was also very disciplined. If you look at the life of Paul, you just recognize that he was very, very careful to make certain that he represented Christ and Christianity as accurately as possible. Worked very, very hard to make certain that, that his personal lifestyle choices were a reflection of Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets kind of hard sometimes to be a Christian because we want to kind of still be Jason and a Christian, right? We want to have that moment where we can step out of our Christian shoes, if you will, and be, be the person that we are on the inside and then step back into Christianity and represent Christ. And Paul said, no, it doesn't work like that. That's what we call hypocrisy. Christianity is not to be a, something we put on, but it's a life change that we embrace. And Paul worked very hard to be disciplined at that. He talks about how he buffeted body daily in the old King James Version and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I might not be disqualified for the prize. So the first thing is, is that Paul was the very best ambassador he could be. He was accomplished. He was disciplined. He was focused. But God also multiplied Paul's best efforts. Colossians, the first chapter, verse number 29 really summarizes one of the biggest struggles that we, that we kind of deal with in life. And it's this tension that we find throughout Scripture. So often we want this or that. But Paul says, well, I have to have this and that. He says, this is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Today in the modern context, a lot of times theologically, people say, well, we're, we're saved by grace or we're saved by works. 
Paul said, no, 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 no. I work. In fact, he uses that word. That's why I work and struggle so hard. Paul recognized that the Christian life and being a faithful ambassador, a good servant, is hard work. There takes effort. There's life change. There's looking over other people's faults and blemishes. There's just the actual workload that's sometimes enormous. He said, I work and I struggle so hard. But then he, he combines that right up against something else, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Once I've given my all, once I've given my 100%, I recognize that it's not enough, that I'm still far short of the goal. And then I depend on Christ's power, who works so mightily in me. You look at the life of Christ, and you can see that power. It's evident in so many places in your life. The Apostle Paul's life really illustrates the third and final thing that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is that meekness creates boldness. So often we look at these two things and we, we don't see a harmony between the two. Meekness and boldness, surely, surely they cannot be the same. But in reality, those two things work together to create the kind of disposition that God wants in a, in a follower of His. Notice what he says in the latter part of, uh, of, of verse 13. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You would assume on the surface that, that this imprisonment of one of the great leaders of Christianity would serve to, to kind of quench some enthusiasm and, and, and stifle people's passion for, for, for ministry and for Christianity and for the gospel. But Paul said, in reality, it's not been like that. People have seen me imprisoned, and they become emboldened to take up the slack and to go out and to do what needs to be done. But as we're going to read in the following text, there's really two ways that people chose to try to fill the enormous shoes that the Apostle Paul left behind in his imprisonment. You know, boldness without meekness leads to arrogance. There's a lot of people in the world today that are very bold, but they're also very self-confident. Yeah, I've got that. I can do this. And that leads to a certain arrogance, a certain arrogance that will get us in trouble with sin, right? The Bible says if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. But it also, it also can be very detrimental to the gospel. We all know people who have set themselves up as better than other people. They, they, they have boldness, but it's not combined with, with, uh, with meekness. And so it becomes arrogance. But boldness with humility with meekness, becomes powerful. That boldness begins to send a message that of calm assurance out to the world. And Paul points out to, the, to the, those in Philippi that his imprisonment has encouraged a lot of people, not just around him in Rome, but in other places as well. As we close, we're going to read a, a final little passage of Scripture that Paul closes with. It's down in verse number 15. He talks about those who have come to fill his shoes, about this groundswell of support. And he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former 
proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not secretly, or not sincerely rather, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul says there's a couple different groups of people. There's some people that are out preaching the gospel and, and going to places and encouraging people to follow Christ. And they're doing it because they, they, they have that, that view, a kingdom view of the world. And they're looking around and they say, you know what? These people still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's still needs here. And I'm going to reach out. I'm going to love those people. I'm going to serve those people. I'm going to share of my time and my talent and my treasure because he gave everything for me. But Paul said there's another group of people out there another group of people out there that look at it and say, look at Paul in prison, jealous of his success, of his ability to, to be such an encourager and used by God in such a mighty way. They, they allowed themselves to be consumed by that. And so they're out, they're out jealously and with envy and kind of in a retaliatory sense, preaching the gospel. They're trying to build up the church, yes, but not because they love people, but because they want to establish their name. And Paul says, you know what? Both of those groups are out there. As we close this morning, I want you to notice Paul's response to these two groups. Because my response to these two groups might not be like Paul's. I might be super excited about the first group who has that kingdom mindset, right? I might be like, I am so glad that, that you guys get it. You see it. You know that there's a need out there. Way to go. <laughs> but I don't really like the second, mind, the second group. I just wish you guys would go away. You see that the, that the great leader in the church is gone. You're like, I'm going to build a bigger church than he ever had. Check this out. You want to know what's special about Paul? You want to know why God used him in amazing ways? Read with me. The final verse, verse number 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Paul said, I'm super excited that people love the Lord and they're seeing needs. But you know what? If they're preaching the gospel, and even if their attitude stinks, even if I don't like why they're doing it, I'm okay with it because the gospel's getting out there. People are finding out about Jesus. People are having an opportunity to recognize that their life needs to change, that someone came and loved them when they were unlovable. Even if that leader doesn't have the right attitude, I'm okay with it because I know that they're going to be introduced to the one who changed my life and can change theirs as well. So can I ask you today what your, what your frame of mind is towards the world? Do you, do you still have that self-reflective frame of mind that most of us were born with where you look at that and all you can see is how everything in the world affects you and your feelings and your family and your safety? and your comfort, and your security? Or are you, are you willing to trade that self-reflective mindset in for a kingdom frame of mind? Where it's no longer about you, but it's about the people that are around you. It's no longer about you, but about the one who gave everything 
for us. Paul said, hey, I'm good with it. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. I have no idea what the future is going to hold for any of us. Surely none of us would have imagined a year ago that we would have, we would have experienced the things that we've experienced for the last few months. But this I know, that no matter how, how long uh, the world lasts, there will be forces from Satan that oppose the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just inevitable. Satan does not want people to know about Jesus. And I'm certain, is equally certain of this, that somewhere in the world there will always be bold and brave Christians, full of humility, full of meekness, who stand up like Paul stood up and said, you know what, if it takes me being imprisoned for those in the top level of society to know about Jesus, I'm good with it. If it means that my freedom is taken so that others might be free on the inside, I'm good with it. Because I'm looking at this world not on how it affects me, but on what other people need. I'm trying to look at this world through the same frame that Christ looked at me when he hung on the cross. Guys, if we can inherit that kind of a frame of mind, then we can join Paul and say, when Christ is preached, I rejoice. We're going to sing a closing song together. If you guys want to stand, you can. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning.